Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Well, welcome. It's so great to worship together. We don't get to do this very often because normally we have to do two services because we don't have enough children's space to run the ministry for children like we want to in one service. So it's great to have you all together this morning as we get to celebrate, I think, the most important decision we get to make in life, and that is uh, to choose to follow Jesus. And we're going to celebrate that as we go through this service. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Next. And uh, what we're doing in this is we're looking at what happened next after the resurrection that made the disciples' faith so vibrant and made the church so powerful in its mission. And we're talking about this because I don't know about you, but I recognize in my own life, I've seen it in other people's lives, I've seen it. You know, being old enough now, this is my birthday, so I could talk about being old, and seeing churches over such long periods of time, and even church, studying church history, it's so easy, isn't it, for us to lose focus and, and lose a little bit of that relational connection with God that leads to a vibrant faith, and we start to lose that. And, and for some of you, I suspect that maybe that word vibrant, uh, you're still searching for that in your faith. Maybe you haven't even found that word and attached it to your faith in life yet. As we get into our topic today, would you step back in your thoughts for just a moment and your memories and your feelings for just a moment to the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven, leaving the disciples alone? It was a time of goodbyes. I mean, I'm sure that Jesus ascending was really probably pretty spectacular to be there in that moment and see, but nonetheless, he's leaving them. He's gone. Usually goodbyes are sad times, aren't they? I mean, you know, last week we said goodbye to Naomi and she's still here for a couple more weeks, but there were tears when we announced last week that she was going to be leaving because of what? Because it's a goodbye, because of the friendships, the relationships are going are to change a little bit with that. And yet goodbyes aren't as difficult as they used to be. I mean, think about it. A hundred years ago, you say goodbye and you go to China and and there was no communication for months other than maybe possibly at best every every now and then you might get a two to three month old letter in the mail, right? Finding its way home. But now if you travel to China, you can follow whoever's going there and see their, their flight in flight and know exactly where they're at. You know when they're going to go over Hawaii, right? When they get there, you get to FaceTime with them. You get to Skype with them and... And uh, we were thinking about uh, when Naomi told us about the impending move coming up and uh, that it was a possibility, we were joking that we wanted to keep her on staff and that we wanted to just have an iPad on this mounted thing in the lobby that would roll around and she could still greet everybody and we'd put a big screen TV right here and she could still do announcements, you know. I mean, it's just, it's just a different kind of world, isn't it, today? Goodbyes. The ones that are most difficult, though, and unfortunately many of you, like me, have experienced that in the last year, are those final ones where somebody dies, and we know we're not going to see them again until we also go through that sacred moment from life until after death. When Jesus ascends to heaven, he says goodbye. What do you think the disciples would be feeling in that moment? Actually, instead of tears... Instead of sadness, we see them worshiping with a joy and expectation 
with this expectation that they get to receive this gift that Jesus had promised them, the Holy Spirit. And when they receive that gift, we actually see a goodbye turning into boldness and joy and this powerfully focused sense of mission for their lives. And it wasn't just belief in an idea that drove them. It wasn't just belief in a God as an abstract concept that drove them. It was belief in a God who came to earth in Jesus to live with us, to be with us, who died to save us and to to heal us from the damage of our sin, who rose from the dead to conquer death and give us life. And it was even more than that. The same God, Jesus, who ascended to heaven, sent his spirit to all of us so that he could be personal and real with every single one of us. And during the what happened next after that resurrection, what we see is that Jesus, Jesus even in that moment, reemphasizes with the, the disciples something he talked about a lot before his death. And it's this, the idea of celebrating baptisms. Baptism was the focal point for the experience of many Christians all over the centuries since, since Christ's time. And Jesus himself insisted on being baptized himself, and he asked that all of his followers join in identifying with him through baptism. It's interesting, very few things in Jesus' life and ministry are actually recorded in all four of the eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that's partially because each one of those accounts is written with a different purpose to a different audience. But that said, it's important to note that the things that are included in all four of the eyewitness accounts are Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, and all four of them refer to baptism in water for repentance and baptism in the Holy Spirit. This word baptized. Uh, It it means to be fully immersed, to be fully put into, to be completely surrounded and saturated. When we baptize people later today, they're going to be fully wet, right? And the Bible talks about baptism in several different ways, but all the ways it talks about it means becoming fully immersed in God and who God wants to be in our lives. Now, I know some of you enjoy heady theological discussions. Some of you don't. I'm just going to take five minutes here, for, and then we're going to move on to some other things in the message. And we're going to look at some main scriptures around this and, and discuss just very briefly some theological perspectives. And, and here's why I'm doing this, because I think what I'm doing can be helpful uh, to some of you, especially if you sometimes see what the Bible says and, and struggle with it because it first appears to be contradictory to one another. Plus, this is going to lead to an invitation that really is applicable to every single one of our lives in our experience of God and our growth in God. So let's just jump in quickly, get through the heady stuff so we can move on and get past that. Let's look at the scriptures. Matthew 3.11. Every single eyewitness account says this this almost in the same way. John the Baptist is speaking and he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me, referring to Jesus, comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. We see something similar in Jesus' own words in Acts 1, some of Jesus' last words before ascending. He says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2. 
We read it last week where Peter's being asked the question, how do we respond by the people? And here's Peter's answer. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That means for everyone here, all of us, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And we know that God calls everyone, not everyone accepts that call. Each of these texts makes two ideas really clear, that there's this idea of baptism in water for repentance of sins, and there's also this experience with the Holy Spirit, which both John the Baptist and Jesus refer to as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So now here's where theologians start to debate. They start to debate, is this one experience that we need to have in order to have all that Jesus wants us to have, or, this, or is this two experiences that we as followers of Jesus need to pursue in order to have everything that he wants us to have in life? Is it baptism in water and also baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate thing? And there are some theologians who argue for two different experiences, and they say that you can be saved with the one But you still don't have all that God wants until you also pursue and realize and get the second thing. Now, there's there's others who argue there's one experience. And uh, you get all of the Holy Spirit when you choose to follow Jesus. And any additional experience is simply you learning more about how how you encounter the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you in greater ways. So either way, the issue leaves us with a question. That's really practical for all of us. What do I need to pursue and experience to have all that God wants me to have in life now? Now, the proponents of two experiences look at chapter, another verse like Acts 8, where Philip goes to Samaria to preach. In Acts 8, it says this. But when they believed in Philip as he proclaimed, the, believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So they were baptized in water to publicly celebrate and identify as followers of Jesus. But that's not the end of the description. Look what happens next. It says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So why would they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit if they'd already received it, is what a lot of people say. It seems like two experiences, doesn't it, right? Those who believe there's only one experience, though, look at the same passage, and they say, well, it looks like two, but it's it's really only one. So they, they, and they, might, say, they might use an analogy like this. So, so imagine that I'm, I'm like this granny, in this uh, meme, uh, I'm telling you guys, my daughter says I can watch TV on my phone, and she's just staring at it, right? Uh, I think this is really funny for two reasons. Not only is the picture good, but they also spelled granddaughter wrong, so I think that's kind of funny as well. So imagine my granddaughter, who I don't have yet, gives me a hint, hint. Oh, no, sorry, I shouldn't look that direction say hint. So <laughs> imagine my granddaughter... <laughs> My boys are going to hit me afterwards. Uh, gives me a smartphone. And, uh, and I don't realize that it can store numbers. So I'm always typing all the phone numbers in for memory, like we used to do, right? 
And I don't even know that this thing surfs the Internet. In fact, I don't even know what the Internet is, right? And when somebody comes and helps me understand those things, that it can store numbers, that I can surf the Internet, and releases all, the, all that power in the palm of my hand, those who would look at Acts 8 and say is this, that this is one work say, is that really a second experience? Or is it just growing in the realization of what I already have? Right? Does that make sense? Without going into more detail, detail, there's lots of theological discussion that goes on on both sides of this. There's even a few people who propose three baptisms. Uh, on the whole, those discussions, I think, are really healthy and good because I think God created us to be curious about figuring things out, and he loves it when we pursue that kind of thing. In the end, though, the important thing is not whether we can parse or fully define accurately the way to talk about this issue. In Acts, Luke, the author, is focused on the experience people have with God. In compiling the eyewitness accounts that make up Acts, Luke isn't concerned with parsing the exact or correct theological way to talk about things. His clear goal in the way he writes is to simply describe people's experiences and the importance of fully knowing and experiencing all that God has for us and helping us discover everything that God has for us. So let's take this where Luke wants us to go with it and ask a really personal question that I want each one of us to wrestle with today. Have you walked into the full experience of what it means to be baptized in water for repentance of your sins? And have you walked fully into the experience of what it means to be baptized, to be immersed, to be fully enveloped in the Holy Spirit that God sends to us? For some, maybe many of us, we haven't maybe even been taught that much about the Holy Spirit or spent a lot of time seeking out the experience of the Holy Spirit. Because you, like many of us, grew up probably primarily in settings where the message of the gospel was focused on believing in Jesus and making him Lord of your life. So the focus may have been primarily, essentially, on the water baptism side of this issue. And water baptism is important to understand. So let's explore that just a little bit further. Water baptism isn't just repentance of sins. It is that. But it's also more what we celebrate today and what we do today. It includes that action and more. The ideas are that we are being washed of our sin and of our past by God, so we're free from it. We go under the water and we are dying to our old life. We're dying to our own pride that asserts our will over God's will. And then in coming back out of the water, we're coming into this new life to live for God just like Jesus did. It's this idea that our life is now not our own, but it's God's, right? And that we're totally immersed in wanting to be made into who he made us to be originally and who he wants us to be. See, we easily forget, I think, as we go along, that we're made new. That as a follower of Jesus, you are forgiven, you are cleansed, and you are now God's. God doesn't forget that. But we too easily drift back and fall into seeing ourselves as unloved, as unacceptable, as not forgiven. And it puts up barriers in our lives between us and God when we fall back into that. Further, baptism is always also a public celebration. It was taking our private decision 
to follow Jesus and reinforcing it with a conscious public declaration and an identification with Jesus. So for some of you who may have been baptized as an infant or a child, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But baptism may still be something you might want to consider as part of your faith journey if when you were baptized it was not a conscious decision that you made, but it was just something that people did to you or it's something you did because that's just what you were told to do, right? Baptism may still be something you want to consider as part of your faith journey in that. Uh, it goes into more in 1 Corinthians 12. also tells us this about baptism. It says, For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. See, we are not just baptized individually. We are baptized into the body of Christ, the church universal. It actually reinforces what we talked about several weeks ago, that it is impossible to be a follower of Jesus who grows and has a vibrant faith and not be part of the church. It's impossible because we are baptized into a body of people, however imperfect that body of people are. Paul uses two metaphors to describe this. He says, we are the body of Christ and he is the head. He uses another, another metaphor where he says, we are the bride of Christ and he is the groom. So we are one body and we can only discover all that Jesus wants for us individually and together when we learn to be healthy together as a church. Along with that public nature, baptism has also always been a declaration of our public praise to God. So since it's a declaration of praise to God today when people get baptized, I want to invite you to hoot and holler and clap and dance and whatever you want to do in that moment, right? It's, yes, it's an affirmation of the people being baptized because they're being baptized in the body with us. But it's also this, this praise of God, this cheering and praising God for his gracious love and his forgiveness and his cleansing power and his promise to one day set everything right for every single one of us. And it's a promise that he pursues us and he makes good on. See, both in Scripture and in the Acts 8 passage we read earlier today, in life today it's very possible for many people who have had an experience of God to be, have their experience left at this level of water baptism, either because you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit that's with you and you've not learned how to release that because you were never taught that, or it's because you hadn't received the second baptism in the Holy Spirit. Whichever view you chose choose to do, one work or two works, I don't really think it matters which view you take on this subject. I've held both views in my lifetime. We can see this idea of being left, though, at the one baptism, primarily the meaning of water baptism and not understanding the Holy Spirit in the life of one of the most famous 19th century Christians. Maybe you've heard his name. His name is D.L. Moody. Moody was an ordinary man with only a fourth-grade education, and he helped the church rediscover and refocus on two major areas, the goodness of God and the power of the Holy Spirit during a time in which the church had drifted away from that in America. Moody came to faith when he was 18 
and he, would be, he was a top shoe salesman for his uncle in Boston. Uh, and uh, Moody later, just about a year or two later, moved to Chicago and continued to have tremendous success as a shoe salesman, making a lot of money doing it. He gradually transitioned, though, in that process more and more to ministry involvement. He reached out to the poor of the community, especially the youth and the children, bringing them to Sunday school and church. And his youth group grew, His basically his youth group grew to 1,500 people. Pretty amazing, isn't it? But Moody reflected on that, and he said this. He said, I was elated. He's talking about having that large of a Sunday school. He said, I was elated. Still none were converted. There was no harvest. Moody actually transitioned a few years later to vocational, full-time vocational ministry, continued to reach the marginalized, grew a large church in Chicago, even got enough of a name that he was, he was asked to preach all across America and even in England some. At 30 years old, he had this odd experience. There was a 17-year-old Brit preacher who asked Moody to let him preach at his church in Chicago. And he sent letter after letter after letter after letter, even after refusal after refusal after refusal. And reluctantly, Moody finally agreed to let the young Brit preach in a small meeting. And he preached on John 3.16, and it led to a huge shift in Moody, who said this about it. He said, I never knew up to that time that God loved us so much. He said, this heart of mine began to thaw out. I could not keep back the tears. It was like news from a far country, and I just drank it in. And after this, Moody no longer focuses preaching on telling people about the impending punishment for them and their sin and how they needed to be saved from that punishment as a way of persuading people to convert. Uh, and, and I know that, that he started talking about the love of God. And, and I know a lot of us wouldn't probably be that impending doom type of a preacher, but the reality is, in our own lives, we still fall into that all too often. We so easily fall back into this thing where we need to save ourselves and we start critiquing ourselves and try to drive ourselves to be good enough and not bad instead of receiving God's forgiveness and love. And it's the same thing Moody was caught when he preached salvation from that impending judgment. A series of events in 1871 positioned Moody, who was then only 34 years old, to step into another significant shift in his life. He says, one day I showed up and there were these two old women sitting on the front pew praying for him. And he thanked them for praying for them. And they said, well, are you praying for me? And he said, I'm praying for you to have power. And Moody went, why do I need power? I'm successful, right? But something stirred inside of him. There was this hunger for more of the Holy Spirit. And not knowing exactly what that looked like, Moody wanted more. So he spent the next few months praying regularly with these two old women who were sitting on the front of his church, meeting with them and seeking more of the Holy Spirit. During this time, if you remember history, the great Chicago fire happened and burned down his church, his home, and killed many people in his congregation. And Moody sent his family away for a while and, and worked wholeheartedly to help rebuild Chicago. And after that, he took his family to New York just to get a break. And he was walking down Wall Street one day, and he just all of a sudden was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit's presence. So much so, he had to escape into a friend's house, into a room. And Moody writes about that experience, saying, well, one day in the city of New York City, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it as almost too sacred of an experience to me. I can only say God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of love that I had to ask God to stay his hand. Can you imagine being overwhelmed that much with love that you have to ask God to stop? 
He says, I went on preaching and the sermons were not different. I didn't present any new truths and yet now all of a sudden hundreds were converted every time I preached, he said. Moody experienced something different. He encountered the Holy Spirit in this way and something made even the results of his ministry and his work exponentially better. Moody went on to lead what many refer to as the third great awakening in America, believed to have reached over a 100 million people with the gospel worldwide. People like Hudson Taylor were influenced by him, the great missionary to China, and Billy Sunday, the great evangelist. Many came to faith in Jesus in the U.S. and England. Over 2.5 million people came to faith in three years alone after this encounter. Moody became one of the greatest evangelists of that era, inspired people to begin children's ministry and and, and schools for education for women and outreach for the poor were kind of the hallmarks. Last week, Jeremy told a story about uh, Billy Graham. uh, And actually in the lobby afterwards, Tony Meacham uh, gave me some more details and sent me an article this week about it. And I just wanted to relate a little little bit about that because it it really illustrates this idea of our impact in life and ordinary people sharing the gospel with extraordinary uh, results. If you recall last week, Jeremy talked about uh, this guy named Mordecai Ham. He was sharing the gospel and this rebellious teenager came to listen to him a bunch with a bunch of his other friends, and he came for the sole purpose of disrupting the meeting and just having fun being an antagonist. Instead, this teen found himself listening intently, and he gave his life to Christ. That man was Billy Graham. You remember the story from last week, who through radio and TV and in person, last century was able to reach over 2.2 billion people, B, billion people. Jeremy's mother was one of the people who came to faith under Billy Graham. But here's the interesting thing that Tony shared with me after the service. Mordecai Ham earlier in life resisted following God for a number of years. Early one day in his 20s, he went to hear Billy Sunday preach, and he decided to follow Jesus. And he left his business. He went into vocational ministry. Years before that, Billy Sunday, some of you who are baseball fans may remember this, he was a professional baseball player in Chicago. One night, he went out with his buddies uh, to drink and intentionally go to a Salvation Army meeting because they wanted to make fun of the preachers. And he found himself listening instead, and he decided to follow Jesus. He was greatly influenced by a guy named Wilbur Chapman who eventually encouraged him to leave baseball. He felt God leading him to leave baseball and go full-time with Wilbur and then full-time preaching and telling people about Jesus. Chapman was actually influenced by Moody, came to faith under Moody's ministry. Moody's this interesting guy that we've already talked a little bit about, but there's even more of his story. Moody grew up in hard circumstances. At four years old, his dad passed away, and creditors came and took nearly everything that the family owned. So from a very early age, he was fourth out of six children. He was forced to work on the farms just to help the family survive. He left when he was 17 to go to Boston, and no one wanted to hire him, including his uncle, and his uncle finally relented, and he became the number one salesman for him shortly after that in shoes. But, but he, he hired him on the condition that he go to church. Moody went to church and he met a guy named Edward Kimball who many of us have never heard about. He was a Sunday school teacher. And Kimball later described Moody as the toughest boy he had ever taught. He said he was fierce in his his determination to disrupt every single class. And he was the least likely person he'd ever met to follow Jesus. Yet he prayed for him daily. 
And one day when Moody was 18, Kimball Kimball felt impressed to go meet him at work. And he, in the stockroom of the shoe store, led him to faith in Jesus. Do you ever wonder what difference it makes to lead in children's ministry, to lead in youth ministry, to lead a small group, to, to pray for somebody at your work? Do you ever wonder? You never know who you're going to influence in that process. Kimball, he was just faithful. He was faithful to pray, faithful to keep good relationships with all the kids who went through his Sunday school class. And it resulted in many of them coming to faith. And in particular, his lineage of faith is responsible for millions of people coming to faith through D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, and Billy Graham. Thank you to those of you who faithfully, faithfully serve in ministry for children and youth and small groups. You never know when your influence could be far greater than you realize. In fact, Moody once said this. He said, there are many of us who are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us who are willing to do little things. Moody himself, an ordinary, irreligious shoe salesman with a fourth grade education, came to faith because there was somebody willing to do faithfully the little things, to be a faithful Sunday school teacher, to pray and to reach out and care for rebellious, hard, stubborn kids. And one of them, many of them came to faith. Moody in his ministry had good measurable success. We've already seen that growing a really large church in Chicago, especially for that day. That was huge. And when Moody encountered the Holy Spirit at age 34 in a way he never thought possible, the work of God through his life multiplied exponentially. See, we see that same kind of influence of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, even in Joseph's life, a businessman, a politician. His favor and success in business and politics and leadership was all accredited to the power of the Spirit being in his life. For Moody, was it a second work of grace? Or was it that Moody encountered the Spirit in a way that helped him release the power that was already there? It really doesn't matter. You know, maybe you're here today and you are as Moody was as a teen. The hardness of life has left you stubborn and a hardworking, self-sufficient, self-starter. You're not seeing how God's love and forgiveness is pursuing you even in your sin. Uh, He's pursuing you to invite you to a forgiveness, to follow him, to become an ordinary person through whom he wants to do extraordinary things. But God's love is pursuing every single one of you in this room. And you can decide right now to let go of that stubborn self-sufficiency and accept that gift of love and follow Jesus today. And your life can be... Even if you're successful like Moody in business, you can find greater peace and greater meaning and greater impact because of the Holy Spirit and following Jesus in your life. If you're here today and you want to be a follower of Jesus and know you're forgiven and know you're loved, even while you're yet growing and still failing, if you want to make that public stand to follow Jesus today, then I invite you to come down at the end of the service after we pray here and before we start baptizing and someone will meet you here and you can talk to them and you can maybe even consider making that public declaration and being baptized today, even if you're not planning on that coming in. If you felt like God tugged at your heart earlier today, earlier when I was talking about baptism being a conscious decision and you were baptized as an infant and that, again, that's fine, that's good. But you were done, it was just because it was the thing to do. Or, but now you would say, my faith has become personal. 
and you want to publicly celebrate that today, I also want to invite you in a moment to come down and be baptized for that today. In fact, if you're already scheduled and planning on being baptized and you're not changed and ready to go for the, for the tank, then I, I invite you to get up and run to the bathroom right now and, and meet Jeremy in the back because it's about time for you to run and do that. Uh, today we celebrate people making the decision to publicly identify with Jesus in water baptism. And as they do, we're also going to pray for them at the end. We bring them all out front afterwards and pray for them that that same encounter with the Holy Spirit that Moody had, that their life would be impacted by the Spirit filling them and coming them and immersing them, not just water, but the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to pray at the end of the service for just the baptized, baptized today. Maybe you are like Moody as well. And maybe you faithfully have given of your life to follow God and serve him the best you know how. But because you were never really taught to expect the Holy Spirit to be more real in your life, and you never understood or experienced that kind of immersion and that kind of sense of the presence of God and the Holy Spirit for in your life, maybe you are at the place where he was when those women talked to him. You find yourself longing for something more. At the close of the service, when we bring all of them out, all of them out to pray for them, I want to invite you, and we're going to re-invite you then to come if you want more of the Holy Spirit and you want that kind of encounter with God as well. We want to pray for you today too. In the end, seeking the Holy Spirit is a thing for all of us. Ephesians five says it this way: it says, "Be filled with the Spirit." Now, the Greek in that is kind of a weird grammatical construct that doesn't translate to English without awkwardness. So let me tell you literally how that would be translated. It's going to sound really awkward. What that's saying is be being filled or be always being filled with the Spirit. We're invited to grow daily and hour by hour discovering the Holy Spirit's presence, His wisdom and His power with us. Moody recognized that need to be filled with, and Moody said, uh, was actually asked the question, did you ever receive a second baptism or blessing in the Holy Spirit? And Moody's response was, what do you mean? Uh, I've received 10,000 times, 10,000 since that first. A great many, he goes on to say, a great many think because they have been filled once, they are going to be full for all time. But oh, my friend, we are leaky vessels have to be kept right under the fountain all the time in order to be kept full. My prayer today is that like Moody, we would want more of the Holy Spirit, that we would hunger for that Holy Spirit. In his case, he hungered for months and then he experienced it. Last week in the text, we look at the disciples. They hungered and waited for that promise gift for weeks after Jesus told them to expect to receive it, and it came. The Holy Spirit wants to take you from this to that in the power in your life. He wants you to be more alive than you ever realized. Maybe this will be helpful for you. Francis Chan describes this transformation of the Holy Spirit by asking a question. And his question is this. What do you think caterpillars experience when they are just crawling all the time and then all of a sudden one day they wake up and they can fly? Can you imagine that experience? Likewise, the Holy Spirit wants to transform you and I. Just like the Holy Spirit took ordinary men like the disciples, like Moody, like Kimball, like the ladies who prayed for Moody and turned them 
ordinary lives into extraordinary, he wants to do the same in you and I. He wants to transform us so that we stop crawling and we learn to fly. That's the invitation for today. How hungry are we for that experience of God and that presence of God? As we celebrate baptisms now, I invite you to take a posture of worship uh, for in just a moment. Uh, we're going to have all the baptism people come up here and immediate family can join them up here. The rest of us will be able to watch on the stage if you can't see directly. And, uh, and we're going to do that. Would you just stand with me right now as we pray? Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here and that this is something that you, Jesus, commanded us to follow you in. And it's more than just wet and water and ritual. That your spirit is here and that your promise is to bring new life. And we get to celebrate that today. So, Lord, I pray that even now as we, as we continue to worship and as we continue to celebrate today with, with baptisms, that you would come and you would just inhabit this place, and we would sense your presence so thick and so beautiful and so wonderful. Lord, I'd even love it if it came so strong that we had to ask you, like Moody, to, to, to relent, to, to stop. So Lord, we just worship you, and we give our hearts to you right now, and we just ask that you would come. For those present here who are uncertain about you and uncertain about their faith in you right now, I pray that, that you would come in a way that they would tangibly sense your presence with them and that you would draw them, that you would give them the confidence that they're looking for, that they're longing for, that they want, that you are real, that you love them, that you want to forgive them, that you want to change their life, that you want to make old things and broken things new for them, or that your spirit would just come now and we welcome you and we worship you in this moment. So now is your time. If you're being baptized, if you can come up right now. If you haven't already gone back, you can come up right here. And uh, if you're here today and you're a person who said, yeah, I, I, as, as, as you were talking, Ross, I felt like God was tugging on my heart saying, I need to celebrate baptism today. I need to be baptized today because I haven't done that. Whether that means you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you're convinced and you want to make that decision now and celebrate it, come. Or whether it's something that you've never done this since your faith became an owned personal decision and you want to publicly celebrate that today, you are welcome to come down right now. And uh, if you are one of the people who were not planned, planning on being baptized today and want to be baptized, let me invite you to come over and talk to Emily and BJ here and they will help direct you for how to make that happen. But let's just worship now and let's just honor God and let's just celebrate what we're about to be a part of. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Quest.org.